0: So we'll jump into the first lie um, that Christian love is nice. One of the things that American culture is great at is that we can take anything and we can make it American and that we can make it nice. We can take any religion from any different country, and we can whittle it down where it may look somewhat similar. But we can take out all the mean and nasty parts. You see it a lot with Eastern spirituality. You see it with um, Buddhism, you know, Buddhism with a caste system. It's actually a very violent, barbaric religion, but you see Americans being able to walk around just kind of tossing out the nice sayings of Buddhist. We can take things and we can make them nice. And in the Christian or the American gospel of niceness, there are two things that you always have to do. One, you have to make sure that you never offend anyone. And two, never speak authoritatively about anything. And if you can do those two things, avoid offending someone and never speak authoritatively about anything then you are a nice person and you're the kind of person that everybody else would like to be around. If you don't do those kind of things, then you are a mean, harsh person that no one wants to be around and that you're very, very unloving. Now, we see this a lot in Southern culture. Southern culture is steeped in niceness. Now, we, we were in Mississippi for six years. We saw a lot of really strong, awesome Christians who walked with Jesus and loved the Lord and there are also some really dark sides to Southern culture where folks can smile and say, bless their heart. And they can do some of the meanest, most like socially wicked things that you could ever see. And you just never see it. You just stop being invited to, to parties anymore. And people talk behind their backs. And everybody's smiling. And everybody's nice. And they're doing just horribly awful things um, to people. But everybody's being nice. We're not saying anything offensive. We're not saying that my way is the only way or there is a God's way. We're just all being very nice. Now, I want you to think for a minute. And maybe that's, that's what you thought or maybe you're struggling to get to, to some kind of understanding of what I'm trying to say. And you're like, wait, I, I kind of think that, that Jesus was kind of nice. First of all, the Bible never calls you to be nice. Um, ever. Never commands you to be nice. Kind, yes. Patient, yes. Loving, yes. Enduring, yes. Patient, yes. But nice, doesn't call you um, to be nice. What if you were able to surround yourself by people who were only nice? What if all of your relationships, you could convince every single person that you ever come into contact with, from the person or the people that you live with to the person you may bump into in the Walmart line, that they will never say something offensive to you. And they will never assert a truth that may run contrary to something that you currently believe. You might think, that sounds amazing. Like I could go through life without any conflict or people tell me that I'm a great person and I never have to see anything else. But the question would be, would you have any real relationships? No you would be in a completely nice bubble and you would be completely alone. You'd run into maybe hundreds of people but none of them actually dealing with you as a real person who may disagree with you, who may see things in you that aren't so good that they might need to talk about, or that you might sin against them, or they might sin against you, just that you have to be nice and never challenge what anybody else believes. That that sounds nice. But in the end, it sounds a whole lot like a hell on earth. It sounds like a lonely, empty existence to have to go through life and always wondering, do I have a real relationship with anyone else? And the beauty of Christian love is that it's not nice because the cross of Christ is not nice. When Jesus came and he died for us, he said what our great need was, and it wasn't nice. Jesus, when he died on the cross for us, said that all of us, are under God's wrath and curse by ourselves, that we have offended God, that we have broken His law, and that every single one of our thoughts, words, actions, and affections, all of them are unworthy to stand before God and have any lasting value, that we can merit nothing before God's throne, not just that we every once in a while accidentally slip up and may do something by mistake but that we are people who intentionally sin every day and we needed the radical drastic difficult sacrifice of the lord jesus christ to make us right with god if we are mostly nice people who just need a boost then the cross makes zero sense If we are people who need to be spoken truth to and need to have our sins forgiven, then the cross makes absolute sense. And the horror, the gruesomeness, the cruelty, the barbarism of the cross makes sense in a way that makes it beautiful and utmost loving that the Lord Jesus Christ would in his body suffer the wrath of God as a mirror to our sin and our need and say, this is who you are and this is what you need and this is what I'm going to provide for you because I love you. When I see a counselor, I think probably everybody should see a counselor at some point in their life. When I see uh, my my counselor, one of the things that he's prone to say is that (coughs) grace and love Always call out. Grace and love always say, that's sin, and there's an answer in Jesus. That's wrong. That's, a, that's, that's walking contrary to God's law. But there is repentance, and there's the power of the Holy Spirit to allow you to walk in love. And now think for a moment. Think if you could surround yourself by a group of people who loved you enough to both tell you when you were wrong. And when you were missing the love of God and when you were sinning against God and sinning against others and that they were patient and enduring enough to stick with you and to maybe even endure you getting mad at them for telling you how you really are and to hold out for you consistently and stubbornly and say, God loves you. God has given Christ for you and there is no hope for you except for in Jesus You cannot do enough to earn God's love. He has given it freely and you're trying to earn God's love or you're trying to hide from his love. Stop doing that. What if, apart from surrounding yourselves by nice people, what if you surrounded yourself, yourself with people who actually were willing to love you truly, costly, say things that weren't nice but were true, about God and say things that weren't nice about a God who's way out and kind of just kind of loves us in the distance and sure overlooks things but know that a God who bled and died and rose again at the great cost of his own life for our salvation that is Christian love because it starts with God's love for us it's not easy and if you decide to do this thing called Christian love it's not going to be easy you're going to be challenged at every moment, to just fall back into niceness. But when you see God loved me enough to tell me the truth about sin and about grace, then you start to be loving enough to tell other people the truth about sin and about grace. It doesn't mean you'll be nice, but you'll be kind, you'll be loving, and you'll be faithful, and you'll be true. And the only way you can do that to enter into someone's life or to invite someone into your life in that kind of relationship is if you've been changed by the love of God. Nobody else wants to do that. They either want to hide or they want to tell people they're wrong so that they can be right. Not that they want to be seen and tell people they might see sin in them because they love them and know that they have always needed more grace than the person they're talking to. That's the amazingness, the beauty of Christian love. So if that's the first lie, the the second lie, which is related to it, is that Christian love is easy. And again, if everybody's supposed to be nice, you know, what's hard about being nice? Just be nice. So it's kind of easy. It's kind of like, you know, the way that I look at drywall. As a guy who lives in a home with drywall, I kind of feel like I'm supposed to be able to repair any kind of drywall things like Bumps and nicks, and I actually feel like I should be able to hang drywall. Even that's way for, our, for my like my abilities. And when I see people who can do it well, like you know, we we had you know, we were working on our house, and this guy came in, and there was a hole in the wall, and he had a putty knife and some putty, and he took like five minutes and like three sweeps, and it was perfect. Like it just looked so easy. And I kind of feel like. It's supposed to be easy to be able to repair holes. And I spend, I mean, my last project, I think I probably spent 10, 12, not swipes, like times of putting on putty and letting it dry and coming back again and putting on putty and putting it back on putty. And the way that we come to Christian love is we look at it like, well, that's easy. It's easy to be nice. We actually look at what's involved. It's really, really difficult. Let me give you an illustration. This is the faithfulness of our God. And this is true of all of you. All of you. All of you have someone in your life who is difficult to love. You know, you're like, no, I don't. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I do. Uh, All of us do. And now now, here's the part that stings for someone on the planet, you're that person. (laughs) So for, for someone, they were just thinking, yeah, that's Joe. That's, he's, he's the one in my life who's really, really, really difficult to love. So the reason that God puts that person into our life is so that we're constantly challenged to remember that true Christian love is really difficult. It's not easy. easy. There, there is someone in some way, either their particular sins or their personality or how they're wired or their background like, they're not even trying and they know where all your buttons are. They, ju- they just come in and hit them. and just, just drives you absolutely batty. And because it's so difficult, those per- that person, unless they live with you, which maybe that person does live with you, um, it's just really easy to keep them at arm's length because they're, they're just difficult to love. Now again, this is the beauty of God's love for us. Not only are you that person for someone, you were that person for God. It was not easy for God to save you. And we think that sometimes. Like, remember, we, we went on a, a trip to Peru, and my buddy was doing the lesson with a bunch of Peruvian schoolchildren. And he was trying to get to them the truth that they needed God. And um, one of the things through a translator is saying, now, now you... It, it, it was really difficult for God to save you. And they all started like shaking their heads back and forth. I don't know if it's a translation problem or whatever else. And he said, no, I mean, like, there are probably times that, that you're not completely nice to your schoolmates and they start shaking their heads. Like, no, no we're always nice to our schoolmates. And said, no, I, I'm sure there are times that your parents think that you disobey. And they're like shaking their heads. No, like like is this like have I found the perfect civilization like the civilization of sinless children like I've never known that that, that existed but you know they're then they're then sitting in that classroom thinking no no it like I'm doing a pretty good job like it, it's not that difficult to save me but God had to give Jesus and God's not dumb he's, he's not a he's not a bad program engineer Like, it wasn't that, oops, like, kind of went with the cross, there might have been a better idea somewhere in there. I think we maybe could have come up with a different plan, didn't have a lot of time, just kind of had to patch something together. Like, the cross, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and not only Jesus enduring the wrath of God, but the Father being willing to pour out onto his own dear son, the wrath, the eternal wrath for sin on him, there has been no more difficult task that has ever been accomplished, and it was accomplished for you because no other easy option existed. That's what it took for God to love you. It took the difficult, challenging love for God at his own expense to say I've chosen to love this one and from my side to make a way for that person to know and experience my love. Because I know that from their side, if I require them to do it, then we will never be in a loving relationship. And so to love that person in your life, the reason it's so challenging is because you're not seeing them, for whatever reason, respond with the kind of love that you want to see. And so what it looks like in Christian love is to be willing to love that person at your own expense. And you will never do that. Ever, 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 unless you know that God has extravagantly poured out his difficult salvation on you. It was not easy to save you. And if you realize how much God has given you, how you not want to love others. It was the heart of all of Jesus' parables. And he goes in and, and in Simon, Simon's house and this woman comes in and falls down at Jesus' feet and starts to wash his feet with her hair. And her tears, like you can imagine that, like tears coming down. That's a lot of crying. Like produce enough tears to be able to wet hair enough to start scrubbing feet. And I want to tell you like the kind of stuff that you'd find on the streets in Jerusalem. Like that was an amazing love that that woman was showing. And Simon's offended and said, if you knew who this woman was, then you, know, you wouldn't let her do that. And Jesus told a parable and said, hey, let me tell you about two people. One had a debt of a million dollars and was completely forgiven. The other had debt of $5 and was completely given, forgiven. Which one loved the person that forgave their debt more? Simon's like, that's That's easy, easy. a million dollars. That's exactly right. And that's what's happening here. That woman knew how much she'd been forgiven and it led her to a radical love for Jesus. Simon thought he was pretty good for the most part and he responded that way. You will only love others in ratio to how much you know that you've been loved by God. And that's the radical nature of Christian love. Yes, the world can love. Yes, people can be altruistic. But unless you've been changed by the love of God, you're not loving others because you've first been loved by God. You're loving others for, in the end, ulterior motives and self-serving mot- motives. You're loving others because you want to be loved. You're loving others because you want to have loving people around you. You're loving others because you hope down the, uh, down the line that they'll love you back. But to simply love someone else Because you've been loved by God, to love someone not because you need something from them, but because you've received everything already from God, is a radical kind of love. The kind of love that Paul's describing here in this passage. It's unique. The world's never seen it. But it's not the American gospel of niceness. It's the Christian gospel of the radical love and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Lastly, Christian love is part of the christian life is is the lie that people believe and you see that here and so they were thinking hey spiritual gifts spiritual gifts are awesome we really love spiritual gifts i have this gift you have that gift and paul starts going through all of these things that you could do and he says without love none of them count if you were just the greatest order doesn't count without love if you were to be a martyr like you bear the name of jesus you go in, you fight with the lions, and you lose. Which, I don't see you fight with lions, you live, you live, unless you've got a gun, and they didn't. So, I don't see how that goes well anyway. But if that happens, and you have not love, your martyrdom is empty. That love, Christian love, is not a component that we check off. Yes, I'm loving, now I move on to thankfulness, and now I move on to joy, and now I move on to service, and now I move on to spiritual gifts. Paul's saying love is at the core of who we are and is the, the energy, the fuel for the whole of the Christian life. You see him say at the end, when he's talking about faith, hope, and love, and you probably know Paul likes faith, hope, and love, faith is the ability to see the present through God's eyes. Faith is the ability to say, what I see right here isn't all there is. How my life is running right now isn't all there is. There is a spiritual realm, and though I can't see Him and touch Him, there is a God Almighty who has saved me from my sins and transformed who I am through the Holy Spirit. And so I'm living in light of that kingdom, even though my eyes may convince me to live a different way. That's faith. Hope is seeing the future through God's eyes. So faith is seeing the present through God's eyes. Hope is seeing the future through God's eyes. It's saying as I see my life play out, it may be wrought with terrible tragedy or amazing celebration. There may be awesome successes, and there may be horrible failures. And quite honestly, it's probably going to be a mix of all of that. But I know that I am the Lord's, that he's preparing a place for me, and that he's using me in the rest of my life for his purposes and for his glory and growing me. And Paul says, listen, faith, hope, and love, love by far is the greatest, because there's going to come a time when you don't need faith and you don't need hope either. We get to heaven. We won't need the Bible and the Holy Spirit to convince us that the present is different than what we can see with our eyes, because we'll be in heaven. We'll see things as they really are, and we'll see God as he really is, and we'll be known as we truly are. We won't need faith anymore. We won't need hope anymore either, because everything that we've hoped will be realized. There's coming a time we we'll don't need faith, and we don't need hope. We will still love in fact, love will be ramped up to its maximum in heaven. If you want to know what heaven is, heaven is a place of maximum love. It's a place where we know and receive the maximum love of God, and we receive from our brothers and sisters in Christ and give to them maximum love. Love. So the heart of the Christian faith is love. And you see that all the way through. And so you go to the Ten Commandments. Jesus summarizes them. All the different commandments. Hey, how should you summarize these, Jesus? We've got this really great question. He says, well, this is the summary of the whole law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second commandment, if we're going to go beyond that and do a second one, love your neighbor as yourself. The people are wondering if Paul, like, should we get circumcised or uncircumcised? And what's going on? Paul says, listen, listen, listen. Faith is really easy. Faith isn't about circumcision or uncircumcision or all these other things. Faith works through love. Love is at the core of everything that we do. Because it's the foundation of how we've been changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, we go back to the cross. In this is love. Not that we first love God. Not that we first loved others. Not that we committed to a habitat for humanity. Not that we serve in a soup kitchen. Not that we do our best to be nice people in our families. This is love. Not that we started loving, but that God loved us. And gave his son for us to be a propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a fancy word which means not only did he take away the wrath, but he gave us the adoption of sons. Not only are we like paroled people who have got out of prison and have done our debt to society, we are now as people who have never sinned before, before the Lord God accepted his beloved children. That's what propitiation is. And that's what Christ did. And, and that's why I'm trying to make this case. That only a Christian says, I'm in for that. Only a Christian says... That's my God. Only a Christian says I was that needy and God came into my life when I was that nasty and ugly and sinful and came and changed me through his love and freed me through that love to love others. That the cross of Jesus is the only thing that makes sense of my love because I believe on it. Jesus died for my sins and rose again from the grave to show that what he accomplished was actually true. And so for us, when we read a passage like this, it's important for us not to read it through the eyes of the New York Times, not to read it through the eyes of Hollywood, not to read it through the eyes of television dramas, of what they say love is. We have to read Christian love through the cross of Christ because it's the only thing that makes sense of the cross of Christ. And if you try to love in the way that the Bible tries without Jesus, you will fail utterly. Only people who've been loved with an extravagant love can love others with an extravagant love. And so we have that person. We'll return to that person. What would it look like for you to make headway in your love for that person in your life that is so difficult to love? First, it would mean recognizing that you probably have a, a more anemic, weak view of love and that you need to go to the cross of Jesus and realize how much that you've been loved. And going there and realizing how much love you've received and how unworthy you are to receive it and how Jesus has given us all things in Christ Jesus. And because he's given us all things in himself, he has freed us to love others in really difficult ways to start to make headway and loving someone else in that same way. Use that person as a, a mark for you. As what would it look like for me to believe the gospel in such the way that I could start to show Christian love to someone that I don't really like? It's another sermon that love is not like. This one is just love's is not, not easy or nice. It's this beautiful thing that is laid out for us, especially as we are in a church together, that we, Christ covenant, will grow in loving one another. If, if we just purpose to be nice to one another, we should be done. We don't need to do officer elections. We should just close up shop. There are enough groups in Culpeper that purpose to be nice to one another. But if we, through our membership in a local church and our relationship as brothers and sisters in Christ, when we have a new member come up and answer the five questions and you know we clap and we're happy, if we're really purposing, I will love you. And I'm asking you to love me because I, I want to have a place where I know that I'll be loved and that there are going to be people who are stubbornly after me to show me the stubborn love of Jesus, and I realize that I'm not really great at doing that kind of love right now, but I'd like to grow in that as I understand more of the gospel. Well, now we have this unique body called the local church. It isn't a group of nice, good-looking people. It's a group of people who radically love one another. And honestly, a lot of people who leave churches, they get to the points where they move from being nice to being loved. Someone says something hard to them and they decide, I don't, I don't want that. And so right now, purpose that you're going to be someone who loves and you're going to be someone who makes room for others to love you and that that's what you need in your life. Not just because it's this out there theoretical thing, because God's already done that for you. You've already been loved that way, and so we're looking in the church to approximate that same kind of love as we've already been loved by the Lord God, but if we're just going to be a community of nice people, we're saying what the cross was really about is just enabling a community of nice people, and again, that's, that's not a gospel. That's not good news. That's just normal news. There's a lot of places like that in the world, but if this, this radical love from the Lord Jesus that's full of grace and truth that binds us together through our common confession and knits us together until we arrive home in the place that is love, the new heavens and the new earth and with Jesus finally, then we're a part of something here, Christ's covenant. We're a part of something in our relationships with one another, our community groups, our friendships, how we serve together with teams. Let's purpose to love one another, not with a weak worldly love, but with a gospel love, a difficult love, a love that sometimes is ugly and hard, and other times is beautiful and soft and enduring as we practice love for one another. Let's pray now and ask that God would make that true. Father, we thank you for the love that you've given us through Jesus Christ. You so love the world that through Christ Jesus, through our faith in him, we might have eternal life. Help us, Lord, to live out